Today, I uh, begin a four-part uh, sermon series on marriage and family entitled uh, Building a Winning Marriage Team. Uh, of course, the reason I'm doing this is to coincide with the marriage seminar that I mentioned earlier, in case you came in late. Uh, we will be uh, uh, putting on a marriage seminar that very first weekend in November, uh, Friday night, uh, November the 2nd, and Saturday morning and afternoon, November the 3rd. And we would greatly encourage all of you married uh, couples to uh, participate. And again, please call the uh, church office to register. Let us know your child care needs. All of that will be provided for you. There'll be a great meal uh, provided Friday night for you to share together. And then you'll move into your first session and then uh, complete the seminar on uh, Saturday. Now, the title of this morning's message is The Winning Game Plan. Uh, the second message uh, is entitled, Practice Makes Perfect. The third message, Developing a Winning Attitude. And the fourth and final message will be Raising Champions for Christ. Now, it's obvious, you'll notice I'm using what it takes to build a winning sports team as a metaphor uh, to build a winning marriage. I thought maybe this would help get the husband's attentions a little bit better. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful analogy, and there are many lessons that we can learn. You know, from childhood uh, to my college years, my life evolved around athletics, especially uh, football and uh, track. And then as an adult, I had the uh, wonderful opportunity to coach high school basketball for about 10 years. And a book that greatly impacted me was written by John Wooten. Uh, most of you are familiar with him. He was the famous basketball coach at UCLA. Uh, Wooten was named uh, by Sports Illustrated as the greatest coach in any sport in the 20th century. Uh, let me mention just a few of his uh, records that remain unmatched. Uh, his teams uh, had a run of 88 consecutive victories. They won 10 national championships. Seven of those were consecutive and had four undefeated uh, teams. Now, in his book, he shared his coaching philosophy, uh, which he called the Pyramid of Success. And if you ever read the book, I don't know if any of you here have, but uh, it did not deal so much with athletic ability as you might think. Uh, the book more focused on the key intangible qualities that are essential uh, to success, not only in athletics, but in any realm of life. And what I did uh, during my coaching years, I took his pyramid of success and adapted them a little bit, and uh, I called them the five pillars to winning, and uh, this would provide the foundation for our basketball teams and what I would focus on and concentrate and try to uh, use my uh, coaching as an opportunity to instill these uh, pillars of uh, winning in the hearts and lives of my athletes. And it struck me uh, very quickly that the five pillars to winning are also essential ingredients in building a winning marriage, a winning family. So uh, please follow along in your notes as we develop the winning game plan for our marriages, which, exactly, which actually comes right out of the pages of the Bible. 
And also let me help you understand that today's message is just laying a foundation. Uh, a lot of these uh, principles that we'll talk about this morning, we'll go further with in uh, future me messages. We'll get a little more practical where the rubber meets the road, but today we just want to lay the foundation. And of course, that uh, first key to a winning game plan, get this down in your notes, is commitment. Commitment. You know, I've never known a sports team to win. I've never known a marriage to win without the commitment to do so. If you could pick just one word that is the key to a winning marriage, it is commitment. Any two people, given the right circumstances, can develop romantic, loving feelings towards one another. But that is not at the heart of marriage. In fact, the difference between marriage and just living together is commitment, and God expects us to keep our commitments. Look there in your notes at Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. God says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. And, of course, that would also be true in relationship to the uh, wife treating her husband with cruelty and being unfaithful to him. The divorce is a reality in a fallen world. And there are many people in our church who have been through the painful experience of divorce. And God loves you. You are not a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. Uh, you are as valued, you are as important as anyone else in God's kingdom. Uh, thank God for His grace. Thank God for His forgiveness. But I think we would all admit that, of course, divorce is not God's ideal. Uh, God desires every man and woman, when they exchange their mar marriage vows, to stay together for life. You know, Kathy and I have been married uh, 44 years. Is that right? Little, okay, thank you. Uh, I thought I had it right. A little over 44 years. And, and let me be the first to say, and she would concur with this, especially in relationship to me, we have not arrived. We have not arrived. I mean, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're still dealing with issues. We're still growing. But I can honestly say, and, and Kathy would concur with this, that our relationship after 44 years is much richer and more satisfying now than ever before. And if you were to ask us, Andy and Kathy, what has been the key to the growth in your marriage, we would quickly say commitment. A matter of fact, the one key that we threw away before we ever got married was the key to the escape hatch of divorce. As a result, no matter how heated the exchange may have become, and we've had some heated exchanges, we've never threatened, we've never even allowed ourselves to consider divorce. We burned that bridge before we ever entered marriage. It's something we openly talked about uh, before we were married on August 10th, 1974. We entered marriage with the attitude, and here it is. We're stuck with one another whether we like it or not. I mean, literally, I mean, we, 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 we talked openly about this. If we, if we wake up on uh, August the 11th or go a month down the road, six months, yeah, and discover we made the worst imaginable mistake and that we're living in pure hell with one another, then we were destined to live in pure hell the rest of our lives. 
Now, I know, now hear me now, hear me out, follow me. Now, I know that doesn't sound very romantic, but it's that very attitude that's been the key to the growth of our love, to the growth of our relationship. And reality is, there have been times when we did not like our marriage. There have been times when we did not like one another. Uh, I'm a blow-upper. Kathy's a clam-upper. And so I would blow up, I'd wound her. She would clam up, frustrate, irritate me to no end. We'd eventually have World War III, and then it would quickly evolve into Cold War, uh, where we may be... Living in the same house, we may or may not be sleeping in the same bed, but even if we were, we were millions of miles apart. Uh, But when things got bad, when they got really bad, because we knew we were stuck with one another and there was no way out, you know what that did? It produced in both Kathy and I desperation. And it produced in us the motivation, we got to make this thing work. Of course, looking to God, by God's grace, because for us there is no way out. And who wants to live in misery all their lives? So I cannot even begin to express what that attitude produced in terms of desperation and motivation. Because I can tell you, being in the ministry all these years, and the marriage counseling I do, It is not difficult when a couple comes in to provide answers that will resolve their issues and save their marriage. The greatest struggle is getting them motivated to apply the cure and to know God's healing. And what I'm trying to say is it was this attitude that provided in Kathy and I that desperation, that uh, motivation. Kathy and I, we simply did not care how great a price we had to pay because, again, we wanted uh, to know God's best. You know, one of the uh, main reasons people do not keep their uh, commitments is they really don't know what commitment means. So get this definition down in your notes. It's very simple, but it's very meaningful. Commitment means you are, un- you are willing to be unhappy for a season until you work things out. That's what commitment is. That's what I mean when I talk about Kathy and I being committed in our marriage. We were willing to be unhappy for a season until we had the time, until we had the opportunity to work through things, learn God's ways, apply them to our marriage and to our lives, and to know His grace in and through us. See, when things get tough in marriage, many people think, well, maybe the grass will be greener on the other side of the fence. And they're tempted to believe that they would be better off if they would just give up or or maybe try with somebody else. Reality is, the grass is greener wherever you water it. That's reality. And if you would take all the energy that you're using to complain about your marriage or to compare your marriage to others and focus on growing your marriage, it could be so much better. You know, it took Kathy and I, literally now, and I'll talk a little more about this in a future message because uh, 
give me the opportunity to uh, share some very practical things that I think will help, uh, can help many of us. It took Kathy and I two solid years. And I'm talking about two solid years. And, and not that, I don't want to get a misimpression, it's not that we're still not working on what I'm about to say. But it took us working on this for two solid years to begin to even turn the corner. And what I'm talking about is working hard on anger management and how to resolve conflict. For me to learn how to deal with my blowing up, her dealing with her clamming up, instead of that dividing us, how to come together and work through our problems in a positive way. Uh, we have learned you have to be willing to be unhappy for a season until you have the opportunity to work things out. So commitment is the first step in developing a winning game plan in your marriage. And again, all of these principles we'll talk about in more detail going forward, just getting that game plan down this morning. Here's the second one. Second one, character. Commitment is the first. Character is the second. Let me tell you what I mean by this. When I was coaching, and any of you that have been in, uh, involved in athletics, you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about right here. I often said, you give me an athlete for one practice, and definitely wouldn't need more than about a week of practices, and I will tell you every weakness and strength in that athlete's life. The pressures and challenges of sports just has a way of bringing out the worst and the best of us. And therein lies the great value of athletics. Athletics, if used properly, not only reveals a person's character, but provides the opportunity to develop character. More important than winning on the scoreboard is what? Helping athletes develop character that will benefit them as they go forward in, in their lives, whether it's their business, whether it's their marriage, ministry, whatever it might be. And this is the reason I often told our teams, you know, if we have a successful season, but we do not develop godly character in the process, ultimately we've lost. On the other hand, if we greatly struggle through a season, but in that process develop godly character, we ultimately win. The same thing is true in marriage. There is nothing like marriage that reveals character. Good, bad, and ugly, but also it provides the opportunity to develop character. Uh, Dr. C.S. Lovett wrote concerning marriage in the home. He said, listen to this, it is a complete laboratory with all of the stresses and strains, trials and pressures packed under one roof. Everything needed to produce Christ-likeness in us can be found in the home. Now let me be very transparent for a moment. The greatest revelation that came to Andy Merritt about six months into our marriage was simply this. How utterly selfish I was. 
that just hit me like a ton of bricks after about the first six months, that I am just so very, very selfish. Therefore, before I could pray, what, Lord, change Kathy, I had to pray, what, Lord, change me. I'm the one that's in need. You know, I, I could not concur more with this quote by precious, great Paul Bilheimer. I wish I could talk more about him. Uh, some of y'all remember, they've been here a long time, we actually had the incredible a privilege of having him with us for a period of time. Uh, but he wrote this. He said, Most newlyweds have not yet learned the true meaning of unselfishness. They may be saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and still unconsciously self-centered. Now, let me just pause right there. That could not have been more true of Kathy and I. I don't know that you could have found two people that genuinely loved God as much as we did. He was our first love, greatest passion pursuit. We had no other desire in getting married than to serve Him. We would end, some of you ask us about the large family. We went into marriage with the intentional purpose to have a large family because we thought that would be our greatest opportunity to impact the kingdom of God by raising children that would serve Him. So we loved God. We were totally committed to Him. But let me tell you something. Although we were saved, although we loved God, we were still unconscious of the depths of our self-centeredness. And that love for God did not spare us from, those, from a lot of these difficulties that I've already mentioned in our marriage, dealing with Anger conflict and, man and managing uh, con uh, conflict. And then Bilheimer goes on and says this. One of God, listen now. One of God's main purposes in ordaining marriage in the home is not primarily for pleasure, as is ordinarily supposed, but to decentralize the self. To teach agape love, sacrificial love. The stresses of marriage and the home are designed to produce brokenness, to wean one from self-centeredness, and to produce the graces of sacrificial love and gentleness. So do you want to know what God's number one goal is in marriage, in your marriage? Well, the answer is found in the next two passages in your notes. It's interesting, this Philippians 2 passage, it just seems like it's been coming up over and over again uh, for the last couple of months in uh, many of the messages and other venues in our church. But this is what God wants to produce in you as a husband. This is what God wants to produce in you as a wife. This is God's ultimate goal, that you'll come to the place in, in relationship to your mate to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, you would regard your mate as more important than yourself. That you would not just look out to your interest, but to the interest of your mate. And you would have that attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who what? Who released his rights and expectations, became a bondservant, and died that humiliating death, what? On a cross for you and I. And then look at the first Peter passages. You go back to chapter 2, it talks about Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in His steps. That's how the 
Second chapter ends. This magnificent example of Christ's death on the cross. And the fact that through his wounds, we are healed as he went to the cross to love us unconditionally with a love that we did not earn, that we did not deserve. And then he goes to chapter 3 to apply this. And the first thing that he says in verse 1, he says, Wives, in the same way, building off of the example of Christ who suffered on the cross for us. He says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And then he goes a little bit further down and he says, Husbands, in the same way. Again, he's referring back to the sacrificial death of Christ. He says, Be considerate as you live with your wives. What is he saying? He's saying, Husbands, Wives, it's not always going to be easy to love that person you're stuck with. It's going to be painful. Wives, there are going to be times where you're going to have to submit and be respectful of your husband even when he doesn't deserve it and he hadn't earned it. And husbands, you're called to be considerate to your wives whether they deserve it. Or have earned it. Now this puts a perspective on marriage. That many, many couples never come to understand. Even within the family of God. Even within the church. And here it is. Get it down in your notes. The greater purpose in marriage. Is to become like Christ. The greater purpose in marriage. Is to become like Christ. And let me amplify on that just a little bit. From God's perspective, winning is developing Christ-like character. Therefore, no matter the circumstances of your marriage, no matter how your mate responds, if you are developing Christ-like character, you are winning. In contrast, in contrast, if your focus is purely on happiness... In other words, the focus is not developing Christ-like character, that that's the primary purpose of marriage. But if your primary focus is on happiness, when your mate does something to make you unhappy, you're going to get mad. You're going to sulk, have a pity party, and you're going to complain. And the whole time, God is sitting back and saying, would you please get with the program? Get with the game plan. It's not about happiness, it's about holiness. Your mate's failure is your opportunity to learn to forgive as Christ forgave. Your your mate's irritating habit is your opportunity to learn patience. Your mate's need is your opportunity to learn the kindness of Christ. Now think about this a moment. Think about this. Let me go back to the athletic analogy. When I coach basketball, until my players mastered a skill, and could execute it in the heat of the game, I would drill them over and over and over until they learned the skill. I knew how to put pressure on them. I knew how to create pain to motivate, you're going to learn this skill, I'm going to kill you until you do. I mean, and, and, and my athletes, I have, some of them are right here, my daughter, one of them, they would hate me during those times. They would actually hate me, detest me. Their eyes would be spitting fire at at me. My goal, though, at that moment, was not to make them happy. 
My goal was to teach them skills that would enable them to win games. Now, if, now listen now. Think about this. Now drawing this over to marriage. If God's purpose in marriage is to make you like Christ, do you think He's going to let up the pressure before it accomplishes its work? Why would God release your mate of that, whatever that something is that irritates you and frustrates you before you learn the character lesson God intends? You understand? Now, let's make sure we don't go to an extreme here. Does this mean that God is not concerned about your happiness and your happiness in marriage? No, no, no. A thousand times, no. It simply emphasizes the truth that we see throughout Scripture that you don't find happiness by seeking happiness but by seeking to know God and to be like God. True happiness is a byproduct of holiness, of an intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ. Even, 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 and this has happened to many of you right here. There's probably not a family sitting here that somebody in your family hasn't been in this position. Even if your mate nails you to the cross, divorces you for another. If in the process, you learn to love and forgive as Christ loved and forgave, you may lose your marriage, but in Christ's eyes, you are a winner. And folks, the place I learned that was my mom, and y'all know that. You know, she died a few years back. Many of you knew her. Won't go into that. I've shared her testimony before. She's the reason I'm standing here. My brother's over here. My sister's in the church. We saw the reality of Christ in her life in her darkest area. Not that she didn't struggle. She struggled. As my father nailed her to a cross, was unfaithful, divorced her to marry another woman. And a lot of people would look at my mother and say, what? What did God give her? What a failure. And I've mentioned to you before, when she died, the only possession she had, I'm talking about only, she had not a penny to her name. She had her Bible and a few measly clothes. But she had peace. And she had true joy. And to be very clear about this, something my father never knew, now, I love my dad. Don't, I'm not trying to say that. I have no bitterness towards my dad. I've always loved my dad, appreciated my dad. He taught me many wonderful things. But he made a terrible mistake. And it was tremendous hurt and harm to my mother. But I saw this truth in my mom. And, you know, I've, in marriage counseling, you know, it's, it's devastating to have a person across from you. And they're just broke. They're just weeping uncontrollably. Because of their partner that either has been unfaithful or they just don't give a rip about the marriage anymore and, and, and they just they want out. I wish I could look at that individual 
and say, if you would do A, B, C, D, I can guarantee you this outcome, the reconciliation of your marriage. I cannot tell that to anyone because marriage involves two people. But what I can tell them, and I've told many, I can look them dead in their eye and I can say this. I can't guarantee you what the outcome will be, the final outcome related to your marriage. But I can give you this guarantee. If you will be faithful to God, if you will be faithful to God and to the pages of Scripture, regardless of the outcome, God will be faithful to you, and He will cause this to work ultimately for your good and His greater glory. Amen. The winning game plan. Commitment, character, Look at the third one, concentration. Oh, this is a huge one in athletics. Any of you that have been in sports, this is the one that gets a lot of athletes. Uh, One of the keys, of course, to any winning team is that each player has to concentrate on performing his or her unique role for the team. A team consists of different positions. And those different positions have different skill sets. They have different responsibilities. And each player must know what is expected of them. And they have to execute their role for the good of the team. In the same way, marriage is a team. The husband and wife have different roles. It's very clear in the pages of Scripture. And they must play for the good of the team. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. In practice, this is the end of the book of Ephesians, in practice, what I have said amounts to this. Let every one of you who is a husband love his wife as he loves himself, and every wife respect her husband. Now look at the next two statements in your notes and get this down. Husbands must concentrate on giving their wives affection. Affection. And when I say affection, I'm not just talking about physical affection. I'm, I'm talking about creating an atmosphere of warmth where your wife feel, feels special. That she, she knows you, you, that she is your treasure. That, that, that you see her as an individual of great, of great worth. And the, and, the, and the key word there is to feel love. It's one thing for a woman to know that she's loved. It's another thing for a woman to feel that she's loved. And for a woman to feel loved in marriage, this is required on the part of her husband, affection. Now, it does include physical affection, but I'm not just talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about as you go through the day, brushing her hair, holding her hand, putting your arm around her, bracing her. But we're talking about more than that, just the, the way you talk to her just the atmosphere where you're creating uh, that, that feeling that I'm special. He treasures me. And, and he treats me as something that's very valuable, that is everything to him. And then wives must concentrate on giving their husbands admiration, respect. A wife's greatest need in marriage is to feel loved. A man's greatest need in marriage is to feel respected by his wife. To be esteemed by his wife. And do you know what happens when the husband stops concentrating on giving his wife affection and the wife stops concentrating on giving her husband admiration? 
Now, let me spell it out for you. Many of you have experienced this. You're in the midst of it even right now. The team begins to unravel, and instead of playing together, they start attacking one another. See, when a husband, listen now, when a husband stops giving his wife affection, she becomes hurt. And in her hurt, she begins to criticize her husband. She uses that wonderful gift of verbalization that God's given her, and she dumps on him, which is really a cry for love on her part. But what happens is the husband interprets the wife's criticism as contempt for him, that she no longer likes him, and now he is crushed. How does the husband react? He might react in anger. He might react in frustration. But the worst thing that a husband does, and we all do it, he will close his wife off emotionally. That's what he does. He'll just close her off emotionally. The wife then interprets the husband's retreat. He doesn't love me anymore which makes her even more desperate, more frustrated. She becomes even more critical. Now the husband believes his wife is totally disgusted with him, and he retreats even more. This goes on and on until all the feelings of love have been drained from the marriage, and the team breaks up. Or if they don't break up, they just live their, the rest of their lives enduring their relationship instead of really enjoying their relationship. And there's only one way, only one way to break this destructive cycle. And we've already alluded to it, but here it is. I, you know, it would be great if both married partners would come to this place, you know, sort of simultaneously and would do this. But in most cases, that's not going to happen. What's going to have to happen is one of the marriage partners must be willing to embrace the cross. To see that this is an opportunity, as we just talked about, to learn Christ-like character and to give that what their mate needs unconditionally. Yeah, they don't deserve it. It may seem contradictory to give them that in light of the way they've been treating you, but that's what it's going to demand. One of the mates embracing the cross, seeing this as an opportunity to learn Christ-like love, to love unconditionally when it's difficult, when it's painful, when it's hard. Husbands, the best way for you to become the knight in shining armor again is to concentrate on giving your wife affection. And wife, the best way to rekindle your husband's affection is for you to concentrate on giving him admiration. Now, what is the fourth ingredient in the winning game plan? Cooperation. Cooperation. You know, I learned very early on in team sports, probably as early as my elementary years, that the key to cooperation in team sports is what? It's learning to communicate to one another. Communication is important, is, is vitally important in team sports. 
That's why if you watch carefully team sports, there's constant talking. You see this on a football field. You see that center calling out the plays for the offensive guards, uh, for, for the offensive linemen. Uh, you, you see, wh- whatever sport it is, they, them talking to one another, making sure they're on the same, same page. Uh, winning teams are teams that constantly communicate in the heat of the game to make the necessary adjustments. Look at Proverbs 13, 17b. Reliable communication permits, what's that next word? Progress. And would you please circle the word progress? For progress to take place in your marriage, you've got to talk to one another. And it's one of the greatest problems we have. There have been studies that have been done about how so little couples talk to one another. Most of their times is uh, watching TV or it's on the gadgets, the, the phones, and all, all of that. And they may be in the same room, but they never connect. They never talk. They never relate. And again, I'm not trying to say there's not a place for TV. I'm not saying there's not a place for the gadgets. We just need to make sure that we don't get so tied into all of that that we miss one another. That's what we're trying to say. And see, bottom line, why would you expect any progress in learning how to cooperate in marriage if, if we're spending so little time in meaningful conversation? And here's my main point about this, and we'll, we'll talk about this more going forward. But it won't happen unless you plan for it to happen. Kathy and I learned that ages ago. I mean, you know, we, we, we were thankful that Jonathan was born nine months and four days after we were married and didn't come early. Uh, what was it? Not four days? Ten days. Uh, but, but the point I'm making is, you know, right from the get-go, uh, we were dealing with children. And then here came Christy 50 months after her. And then, of course, you all know the story. We, we continue. And, you know, you're overwhelmed with family. I mean, you got, you got work. You got ministry. You got so many things going on. And we learned a long time ago, if we don't plan for it to happen, in other words, we had to literally plan, plan, plan times when we would get together. When we were talk, that's the primary reason. Many of you all know Kathy and I, to this day, have a weekly date night. We never miss it, or very rarely, unless uh, I'm out of town or, or there's something very, very unusual. But every Thursday night, we go out because there's no more important relationship in our home than our relationship. And we realize that. And you've heard me say this. When the kids were little, I saw this last night. It was, it was great. made me feel good uh, about children learning something positive from their parents. We had a birthday party for one of our grandkids. And uh, Carrie and Robert, the, the, the uh, two that were from Highland with us, remember a couple weeks ago? Uh, I came up on, on the porch. We were over at Carla's house. It was her child's birthday. And their youngest one was crying his eyes out. He was mad at his parents. He says, I want to go, blah, blah. And, I, and I, you know, I wondered what was going on. And I said, Dad, you can relate to this. I said, what is it? He said, this is Robert and I's date night. And his other grandmother's going to take care of him, and he don't want to go. He wants to go with us. And, you know, I, I, you know I, my kids know this, what we would do. I'd, I'd get right down on their level, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, and I'd just simply tell them, hey, Long before you ever came along, 
me and your mother had something good. And we're planning to have something good long after you have left this place. So get used to it. And, uh, and they eventually will. And now our children look back and they will tell you it's probably one of the greatest gifts that we gave them. Uh, to realize that they weren't the most important thing in our home. This was right here. And I trust it will always be that way. So fill in the next statement in your notes. When confronted with problems, you can attack one another or you can come together as a team to attack your problems. When confronted with problems, you can attack one another or you can come together as a team to attack your problems. And yes, we will talk much more about this particular point uh, as we go forward. And then fifth, as we close, conditioning. Conditioning. In all my years of coaching, I can honestly say this. I don't believe that we ever played a team that was better conditioned than we were. And that alone won us many games. I remember Christie's team. Uh, we uh, made it to the national championship game in uh, our division in Christian schools. We were playing a much actually superior team than us from Florida that was undefeated. And what won us that game was our conditioning. We eventually just wore that team down as we, we came after them. Conditioning is so important. Often it's not the way you begin the game, but what? How you finish the game. Look at Ephesians 4.3. I love this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Would you circle those first three little words? Make every effort. And of course, this is God's grace working in you, of course. It's by His might, by His power, but let's not get so spiritual for us to think we have no responsibility to cooperate with God in all of this. No, He says, you make every effort. And I'm going to say more about this in next week's message on practice makes perfect. All I want you to understand right now is that final statement in your notes. Winning marriages, winning marriages are not the result of chance, but hard work. Winning marriages are not the result of chance, but hard work. And when I say hard work, I'm talking about a choice that you make to invest in your marriage even when you do not feel like it. See, how did I condition those kids? Janet was a great athlete. I don't know if y'all know this. Janet was all by city athlete in three sports here in Columbus, went to Auburn on a full scholarship. Uh, in, in track, uh, could have gone in basketball as well, but she chose, she chose track. And, and how do you condition an athlete? You push them beyond what they think they can imaginably do. You break that athlete down physically, and you make them take that extra step. You make them do that extra drill when they don't think they have any strength, any win left to do it. And it's no different in marriage. That's how God develops his character in us, how he works in us. He allows us to hit those situations where I'm faced with a choice. Am I going to stay true to my vows and continue to invest in this marriage even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't like the person I'm looking at right now? And that's how we develop spiritual muscles. That's how we develop character. 
and eventually it's that that strengthens our marriages. So there you have the winning game plan. Commitment, willing to be unhappy for a season until you work things out. Character, the greater purpose in marriage is to become like Christ. Concentration, husbands giving their wives affection, wives giving their husbands admiration. Cooperation, when confronted with problems, rather than attacking one another. Coming together as a team to attack your problems. And then conditioning, winning marriages are not the result of chance, but of hard work. Amen? Amen. Well, as we uh, come to our invitation, of course, this has been a unique message, and the next three as well will uh, be focusing on marriage and the uh, uh, family. Uh, but I hope that you realize, uh, although we've been, you know, been focusing on our responsibility, we can't do any of this apart from what God's grace about, without having a relationship with Jesus. Remember, Jesus talked about the wise man and the foolish man, that parable. And the wise man built his house on what? The rock, which represented what? The Word of God. He dug deep, laid a firm foundation. These five things we've been talking about, the winning game plan, that was the foundation. And he said when the storms, the pressures came up, that house had integrity and it withstood the pressures of the storm. But the foolish man, there was no foundation. There wasn't a focus on a relationship with Christ and building these truths into their lives, and when the storms and the pressures came, it said what? Great was the collapse of that home. And that's what's happening throughout the United States of America. It's what's happening in our churches. Why we're seeing families, homes, marriages collapse because we have abandoned God's Word and His truths and the priority of a relationship with Christ and maintaining Him as our first love and, of course, we do all of that only as we reciprocate what? To Him loving us first. That He came to this earth to die for us, and He rose again, and He's alive. And if you're a believer, He lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, yes, He can give you the grace to do exactly what we've talked about. And it's only by His grace that you can do that. He's the vine. You've been grafted as a branch into that vine. Why? So that you can know the flow of the sap of that Holy Spirit producing these qualities and giving you the grace to, to learn these things. So believers, we need to fall on Him. We need to trust Him. If you're here and you don't know Christ, first step is to come to know Jesus to where you can build that foundation through a relationship with Him, a foundation of His Word. So I'll, I'll remain standing here for anyone that would have a decision of any nature.